Amen. Amen. Hey, take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and go ahead and find Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 7 through 13 this morning together. And I just need to warn you up front, as I am preaching this morning, you may hear my voice give just a bit, and that may cause a little more anxiety. It's recovered some from the first service, but you could see the folks, like when my voice began to crack, they began to, like, put masks on. They began to, like, walk out the doors from time to time. I mean, I was causing a little bit of a concern. I promise you that I'm fine. I was good Friday evening. And I showed up at homecoming. This had been homecoming weekend for my children, especially my daughter and my son, my daughter who was on the court this week. And uh, so I went to homecoming. And I don't know if any of you follow like high school sports. Uh, Let me ask this. Anybody here from Minden? Anybody from Minden? Oh, so there are a couple of y'all. I'm sorry. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. But uh, there was a game here in town that you may not have been familiar with. It was, a, it was kind of a 1A school named Cedar Creek that was taking on the 4A Minden football team, you know, from just over the side of the interstate. And uh, any, any of you, I mean, any of y'all there? Any of y'all? A few, a few people? Did, did, you, did you see the score? You did see the score? Some of you did? 1A Cedar Creek. Beat 4A Minden, 50 to 28. My voice was fine before the service or before the, well, it seemed like a worship service some, but before the football game. But after the football game, it was like this. So I was in a little bit of a trouble. You know, I I thought I could recover, but I mean, come on. I mean, you got to get excited. You got to get excited, right? I mean, I even started changing my sermon. I started preaching about David versus Goliath. You know, but my voice kind of gave before the end. People were like, you're, you're not going to be able to preach on Sunday. And I thought, oh, it'd be fine. To, I'll recover. And yesterday I had recovered some and came in this morning. My voice was actually doing okay. But then I started hearing the songs and started singing. And I'm just going, okay, this is just me. When they, we start worshiping and I hear the songs, I can't just sit there. I can't remain silent. I got to sing. So this morning I was like, well, I ought to rest my voice. I need to preach and all that. You know what? I just was like, I got to sing to the Lord. I just got to sing. So I sang this morning, and that caused a little more raspiness that's there. So just bear with me this morning. Know that I am fine. Know that Katie's going to be fine because some of you are like, oh, my goodness, he just baptized her. No, she's fine. She's good. She's going to be all right too, all right? So we're all good. And I want to talk to you about a faithful church, a church that is filled with opportunities. Now, as I've been surveying the last few chapters, or really verses, chapter 2 and chapter 3, I've been able to see the different characteristics of churches. And you and I know this. Like, there are churches, great churches. They're just different churches. Some churches are strong in this area. Some churches are stronger in another area. And I've pastored those churches. You've attended those churches. And As you look across the seven churches of Asia Minor, you will find, you'll find different characteristics. But if I were to look at all seven of them, and I were trying to determine where I would put my membership, where I would put my all in all to say, hey, this is where I want to serve, where I want to be a part, I probably would land at the church at Philadelphia. 
That's the church we're talking about here. Not because Philadelphia was a great growing area. It was one of the last cities that had been founded in the seven that we see here in chapters 2 and 3. It actually had gone down in prominence some. It had been the gateway to the east. But it was nothing like its neighbor Sardis or the, or the other neighbor Laodicea. It was nothing like those. Philadelphia, because of an earthquake, had been reduced to just a, just a small little town. Actually, a lot of people lived outside of the town. So it wouldn't be because of that I would join the church at Philadelphia. Rather, the reason I think I would settle at Philadelphia is because the people, despite their numbers, despite all the obstacles, they were just a faithful group of folks. They just believed God and they were serving him and they were working on his mission. And there's absolutely no condemnation that Jesus gives to them. The only church of the seven that Jesus does not say any negative thing about. So this is the way it plays out. This is what Jesus says as he looks at the church at Philadelphia. Verse 7, to the angel, to the messenger, or even maybe the pastor of the church in Philadelphia, write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true. So here Jesus identify himself, the holy one, the set apart one. Jesus basically making a statement that he is God here at this point. He is the holy separated one. And he said, I'm the true one. Not the false gods that you would hear preached and spoken about in Greek culture or maybe even in the Roman, uh, the Roman areas. Rather, he is the true one. And then he makes this statement. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So he claims authority. I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. And no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in my temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So again, Jesus comes to this church at Philadelphia, and he's identified himself. And he looks at them, and he says, hey, I know you, and I know your works. He says, I know for a fact how you have trusted me, how you have believed me, how you have not denied my name. I know you. Now listen, when you look at the church at Philadelphia... Again, they don't have just a whole lot, I would say, worldly speaking, they don't have a whole lot going for them. It says that they have little strength. I told you that the city itself didn't have much strength, but the city, I mean, the church obviously reflected the city. And it didn't have a whole lot of strength by it. Now, what does that mean? I mean, 
if you're a church, you should have strength, right? The Holy Spirit resides within you and resides within the church. So what does it mean when he says you have little strength? I don't think he's talking about spiritual strength. I think what he's talking about maybe would be strength in resources, maybe strength in numbers, because I told you that a lot of the people lived on the outside of Philadelphia. The city of brotherly love didn't have a whole lot of people in the actual city. Most of them were out on the hillside. So maybe the church wasn't too big, so they didn't have good numbers, and they probably didn't have all kinds of resources. They certainly were not the most popular of the churches. And Jesus said, I know that you don't have all the numbers. I know you don't have all the money. I know that you don't have all the popularity. But I also know that you're faithful. I know that in spite of all those things, you are keeping on. And that you are faithful to my name. You know, sometimes it seems like faithfulness goes unnoticed. I mean, really... You just kind of go on, you're under the radar, you're trying to be faithful, you're trying to do what the Lord asks you to do. You're not necessarily asked to speak on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, you're not necessarily on a committee, you're not doing all these other things. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. You feel like that. You're trying to pray and seek the Lord and study his word and show up to service and when you get an opportunity to be a minister to somebody, that's what you're trying to do. But that seems like it goes unnoticed. There may be days when you're like, all right, does anybody realize what is going on, what, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do for the Lord? Well, let me say to you that faithfulness never goes unnoticed with Jesus Christ. Never. Jesus knows what's going on, and he knows you, and he sees you. You know, for most of us in this place, we're never going to be a subject of a, Christian, a Christianity Today article. Or let me say, we're never going to be a positive example in a, Christian, a Christianity Today article. Most of us are never going to serve like on a governmental council of spiritual advisors. Most of us aren't going to do those kinds of things. Most of us are not going to be like um, some type of spiritual analyst for CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, or whatever. Most of us are not going to do those things. Did you know this? That most likely, our names are not going to go down in the great annals of church history. Most of us in this place. You know, like 100, 120 years from now, if the Lord tarries, which he may not, he may come back before then, but let's say 120 years... No matter what you do for the kingdom in, in this place, a lot of, most of us in this place, our names are not necessarily going to be remembered. But that's okay. Because you haven't been called to delight the world or to gain popularity or fame or anything else. You've been called to delight the Lord Jesus Christ. And he looks at you. Even when everybody else doesn't see, he knows what's going on and he knows your faithfulness and he knows the church's faithfulness. For example, can any of you name any of those believers or church members at the church at Philadelphia? Anybody? Now, come on. Now, in the 9 o'clock service, we got some folks, I think they study up. They know where I'm going with my sermons. Obviously, it's kind of easy to figure out right now. So they would like study. I think they want to see if I really know what I'm talking about. So they'll study up maybe. 
And maybe you studied up. Did any of you find any person from the church at Philadelphia named anywhere in history? No. You haven't. I haven't either. You know why? Because God often builds his kingdom on the anonymous, on the people that aren't named. Now, I know you got the Martin Luthers, you got the Billy Grahams, and God, I am very thankful for those individuals. But do you realize that most of the kingdom activity through the years, that most of that activity has taken place among the army of the anonymous? Just people being faithful. You know the reason the kingdom spread like it is? Because people being faithful. So Jesus comes and he says, I notice. I know you're working. I know that other people may not see it, but you are being faithful. And there is no condemnation. He says, you've kept my word. And you have been faithful in your church. You know what I've recognized as well as I've kind of grown through the years is that you and I, we are responsible for our, our own faithfulness. We're not responsible for anybody else's. Like, I'm trying, don't get me wrong, I'm a father, I'm trying to lead my family, I'm a pastor, I'm trying to lead the church. But really, you know, when it comes down to it, I am responsible for my own personal faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. I can't blame anybody else. I can't try to credit anybody. I just am like, hey, Lord, my relationship with you is based upon how I seek you daily in my life. I know he wants me. Will I continue to seek him in that relationship? And you know, as a church, as I look across the church, again, I know I'm the pastor here, and I say this, that I'm only responsible for Temple Baptist Church. I'm not responsible. There are great churches. As a matter of fact, there are some of the greatest churches in Ruston, Louisiana. Have you noticed that when you move here, a lot of times if you're moving for work in particular, the first question will be, hey, where do you work? Second question will be what? Where do you go to church? It's kind of like Ruston. It's kind of the way it is. Maybe you, they knew why you came. Some, some of you who are college students, they knew that. But they, maybe one of the first questions they ask you, hey, where do you go to church? It's kind of like that community. It's great churches. But I'm not responsible for all the other churches. I'm responsible for my life, and I'm responsible to lead Temple Baptist Church in the greatest effort of faithfulness that I can. And that's the way you are in your life and who you are. And he recognizes faithfulness. And what happens? Well, to the faithful church, to the faithful church, God opens doors of opportunities. So look again, verse 8. I know your work. So he says, I know you. And he says, I have set before you an open door. An open door. An open door is like an invitation. Like an open door is like, you can come in. You can fellowship. You can, you know, I was thinking yesterday. Hey, Zach, 
Zach, I noticed you today, by the way. Yeah, I'm proud of you, bro. Holding the arms of the pastor up right there, bro. Hey, no, I was thinking yesterday, though, since I've been here, I've almost been here seven years, okay? And there have been many homes that have welcomed me in. Like, I've crossed the threshold of a lot of different places. And I've been able to go in, be able to, uh, obviously not so much in COVID this period, but I've been able to go in beforehand and, like, just sit down and enjoy. I mean, seven years, it's some, been some great moments. Of course, it's had an impact upon me just a little bit. I have noticed that my pants are a little bit tighter because of all the open doors and maybe the lemon icebox pies, perhaps. But it's been a great, great opportunity when an open door comes, like you're able to come in. So here, Jesus says, I'm going to place an open door before you. And it's the idea of invitation. Invitation that you can come in and you can see what Jesus is doing, an invitation of opportunity. Really, when you look at the New Testament, an, an open door always communicated ministry opportunity. Always. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. Paul said that God had given him a great open door, and thus he was going to stay in Ephesus for a little while longer because he had opportunity, because God had opened the door for him. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul would actually say, pray for an open door, that I may speak the word, because I need a ministry opportunity. So, here Jesus comes and he says, you're a faithful church. And because you're a faithful church, I'm going to open the door. I'm going to invite you to come in. And I'm going to allow you to experience great ministry opportunities. Isn't that hopeful? That God would give you opportunity? That God would give you ministry? You know, many times we pray for opportunities in ministry. And what God has done already is he's placed them right before us. And get this, God can open doors when we can't. God can open things when we never thought possible. Did you notice again it said that the people had little strength? The Greek word for little is micro. So when I look at this passage, I always say, we have micro strength. We have microscopic strength compared to God. Because what God can do is he can take a door, you know the door we've been like pushing against? The door we've been trying to open the door we've been trying to like ram through, he can take that door and he can fling it wide open in our lives. He can do it for a church. He can do it for you. And there's some of you, maybe it's a job opportunity and you're trying to knock the door down. My friends, there's some doors only God can open. And it's going to come as you have demonstrated relationship and faithfulness to him and who he is. It is not the size or the strength of a church that determines its ministry, but faith in the call and the command of the Lord. If you believe and if you trust, it's not about the resources. Listen, my friends, if our strength is only in our buildings and in our money and in our numbers, we have missed the point of what God has for us. God wants to do something for us that we could never have done on our own. He wants to open the door. Now, I do want to caution you. Because sometimes when we see open doors, we think, oh, we just got to walk through. Have you ever thought that, yes, God opens doors for ministry, but there are moments when God might open a door, more of a testing to see if you will really trust him 
or if you're just going to run through on your own. All open doors are not necessarily God's will for you. I feel like I need to stop and say that here. Now, I will be honest. In years past, like jobs and that kind of stuff, I would say, God, if this is not your will, shut the door. You ever prayed on something like that? If you haven't, you're probably going to one day. And there's nothing wrong with that prayer, by the way. There's nothing necessarily wrong. Like I'm like sometimes, God, just like close it. That way I don't have to worry about it. But what if God opens the door just so that he will help you in your process of wisdom and discernment? Maybe even to grow you. Maybe even to grow you in your relationship with him. So let me give you an example of that. This is kind of like a little sermonette in the sermon because I think this is important and I think it may help you. It's something I've not shared too publicly before. But a few years ago, uh, when we were at Zachary, and I know some of the students here that are from Zachary, I was going through a, a period of life where I felt like God was wrestling in my heart. And so was Leslie. We were trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? Are you going to move in a new, fresh way here? Or, God, what, what's going on right now? And in the process, over about six months, I, I got contacted by about three educational institutions. A couple colleges and one, I would almost call it a quasi-seminary, Okay. And they wanted me to come and join their faculty. Let me give you the third one that I dealt with. It was a school in North Mississippi called Blue Mountain College. Some of you may not have heard of that, unless you've been around here for a little while. And you know that's where I graduated from. And the guy that had been there for all those years, really the guy that helped form me, Dr. Ronald Meeks, he called me. And he said, uh, Reggie, we'd like to talk to you about coming and joining the Bible department here at Blue Mountain. Now, you know, when I was at Blue Mountain College, I, I sat in those old desks. Y'all probably got some nice desks now. so. But I sat in an old desk. You know, I could read the names of everybody that had been there from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And I would sit in that desk. And I would dream about going back and teaching at Blue Mountain College. I actually was like, Lord, I, one of these days, I know this is what I'm going to do. Lord, I, I know I'm going to be right back here and I'm going to be teaching with Dr. Meeks. This is going to happen. It's going to happen. So think about this. I get the call. I want you to come, Reggie. And it was kind of weird. It was like they had tailored this position for me. They had said, um, I want, we want you to teach like two classes a semester. Ooh, that's all. And we want you to go out and we want you to be the person that is our liaison to the churches in North Mississippi. And we want you to develop a ministry intern program so that you can help these churches connect with our students and our students connect with them. And therefore, you can kind of be over that. You realize, like, that's what I love to do. Like, it was like just everything was perfect. Leslie looked at me and she said... There's no way you'll ever be able to tell them no. There's no way. And I said, well, let's just go and let's talk and let's see. So I met with Dr. Meeks and I met with President Coward, the president of the college. And we went through all the conversations and everything seemed to just be right, except something wasn't just right. You ever been there before? 
Like, it was a wide open door. I could go back to North Mississippi. They wouldn't make fun of my accent like they did down in South Louisiana. I could uh, teach. I could do the thing. I'd be closer to my family. So a few years ago, Dr. Fred Wolf, who is a statesman in Southern Baptist life, is an older man. He pastors still down in Mobile, Alabama. He talked to me about making decisions. And maybe if you hear nothing else of this sermon, this will help you more than anything else. What do you do when you make a decision about doors and opportunities? What do you do? Well, Dr. Wolf said, Reggie, what you need to do first is ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. I mean, I know that sounds, but ask him for wisdom. The Bible says that if anybody lacks wisdom, he is more than generous or liberal to give us wisdom. So just go to him and say, hey, God, I need some wisdom. And then he said, Reggie, you need to ask God to give you a specific scripture. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, in the New Testament, there's a word for word. It's called rhema, means word, and it means a personal word. He said, you need to go before God and say, God, I need a personal word from you. I need a rhema. And don't do this kind of stuff. Some of y'all do this stuff all the time. You, uh, you do what's called lucky dipping, right? God, we need you to help us show us a word. Please, Lord. Oh, yeah. That's right, Lord. Give, give unto the Lord. No, I'm not giving to the Lord. You must admit that to somebody else, Lord. You know, I mean, that's, the way you, that's not the way you make decisions. I'm not saying that God can't speak in any way he wants. God could, he could speak through that. But you need to allow God to speak to you as you are systematically working through his word. Because this is what's amazing. Is God will take what you are studying and what's going on. And he will apply that word to you. It's like it's to you too. It's not to everybody else. It's like to you at that moment. You ask God to give you a word. And then you look at the circumstances. It's okay to look at the circumstances. Because God has played all this out before you. Look at the circumstances. And then, number four, you seek the counsel of godly people. Seek the counsel of godly people. If we truly believe the Holy Spirit lives within each individual in this place, then that means the Holy Spirit has given them wisdom. And you need people in your life. And this is what Dr. Fred told me. He said, Reggie, you need people in your life that love God or fear God more than they fear you. He said, you need people that would rather tell you the truth even if it hurts your feelings because they have such a relationship with God. You need those kind of people. And then fifth was this. This is the last little part he said. He said, you need, to, you need to allow the peace of God to make the final call. He said, it's kind of like the umpire that makes the call that says, you know, you're, you're out or you're safe. It's like the umpire of peace makes the call. And he calls it out clearly in your life. He said, this is what you need. So I worked through those things. Everything looked good. I talked to people. Some people said... And I came back and I couldn't get a peace. You know one of the reasons I couldn't get a peace? 
was because, this is going to sound real corny. But I had younger children at that point. And I knew the expectations that they had for me. And I knew that they wanted me to go into the different churches and preach and all this kind of stuff. I wanted to worship with my family every Sunday. And if I were off preaching and doing those kind of things and they attended somewhere else, I said, that's not good. They need their daddy with them. Leslie needs her husband with her. You know what else I figured out? That God calls you to certain things. And while I love education and teaching, oh, I don't know if you heard this, but you know God has given us an opportunity. Talk about opportunities. God has given us an opportunity to start a new school of ministry and missions here at Temple in conjunction with the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Did you know that? Like after all these years, I'm like, oh, God, here you are coming back around. But the reason I couldn't go on faculty is because I knew that God had called me to the local pastorate. Because you want to know where ministry really takes place? It's within the local church context as we go out. It's like George W. Truett said years ago when I think Baylor or Southwestern came after him. He said, you know, I've sought and found the heart of a pastor. Like when you know what God's called you to do, then you don't have to worry about all those other things. Because God's not going to give you a piece of those other things. Because he wants you to fulfill what he's called you to satisfy you in your heart and life. So not every door is an open door. Hey, but aren't you proud he opens things that we think we never can? And allows us to walk through as individuals. As you're, God opens things that we cannot. Listen, our enemies cannot force doors close either when God's opened them. Did you see that? Oh, Jesus had identified himself as the one that had authority. And there he had mentioned specifically Isaiah 22. 22. About the one who holds the keys. Jesus said, I'm the one. Listen, I open the door, nobody can shut it. If I close the door, nobody's going to be able to open it. Because Jesus has the authority. And even the enemies. If you look at this passage, it says that there are enemies from what is called the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue of Satan. That means that there's a congregation, I would call it that, of individuals who are gathering together. And what they're doing is slandering the Christians. They're trying to persecute the believers. In so many ways. Look, there are obstacles. Could you say there are obstacles? And yet God says, I don't care what those obstacles try to do to you or those enemies try to push against you. I open a door and no man can close it. So you need to know this. That when Jesus opens a door in front of you and he opens a door for the church, nothing else can close it. Now look, over the last year, huh. It seems like Satan's tried to close a lot of doors. He might have used COVID. He might have used a multiple array of things. But if Jesus opens a door, Satan himself cannot close it. And see, I think God can take an obstacle and actually provide it as an opportunity. I hope you've heard that from me over the last few weeks and months. Is that yes, we've got obstacles in front of us. We got all kinds of things. Like we've met with the staff this week. We've been continuing to work. What can we do? What can we do to see discipleship? What can we do to fulfill our mission? What can we do to do all these things? And there are a lot of obstacles, but my friends, 
Obstacles can be opportunities. I still believe that all the things that have happened this year, we have had a greater opportunity to show our faith in the Lord Jesus than we ever have before. That we will not be shaken by all of these things that come against us. But obstacles will turn into opportunities because Jesus gives us an opportunity. And again, Jesus will allow that door to remain open. You see, I believe today that we still have opportunities all around us. One of the reasons we're sharing the gospel like we are, you see that display of the green balls out there, is because we believe that when somebody comes into our life, yes, Jesus changes things, and he gives us an opportunity to tell them how he does it. And we share that. That is an opportunity. Jesus has given us opportunity. Listen, he's given us opportunities from Arcadia to Calhoun. I would have gone to Minden, but those folks, they're still smarting, like I said. But Arcadia to Calhoun, they, we have opportunities. We have opportunities from Dubok to Quitman. We have opportunities from Calgary to uh, San Francisco. We have opportunities from Boston to Baton Rouge. And even though you think missions is dead now, let me tell you it is not. Because when God opens the door, we still have the opportunity to walk through and to support missions in South Asia and East Asia and Hungary. We still have opportunities. You don't give up on these things. Because he is the one that has the authority. And he's the one that allows us to overcome. Hey, look, it says in verse... Nine, it says that one of these days, those enemies, well, look in verse 9, it says, Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. He's going to give us opportunities now, but what he's saying is one day you will overcome. And here in this passage, he says you will be vindicated. Vindicated. What is vindication? Vindication is the idea that you are proven right. He said, those enemies are slandering you and accusing you, but there are going to come a day when they'll have to come and they'll have to confess, oh yeah, they were right the whole time. Jesus did love them. And it's not a kind of a, just a negative kind of thing. It's just the idea that they will have to confess. Isn't it, hey, isn't it okay every now and then like to feel like you are right? And to like hear somebody, hey, you were right about that. I know most of us are very humble. We would never like, like, just keep on with it. But it's kind of nice every now and then when somebody says, yeah, you're right. All the world that is criticizing the work of the Lord Jesus and really who he is, one of these days, everybody will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. And it's the idea that, oh, yeah, he did love y'all. He, he did die for you all. He died for me. He loved you. And they make that confession. And he says, I'm coming quickly. Notice that's not a threat. In the other churches, when Jesus is coming, you better get ready because it is a threat. But here, this is not a threat. This is a comfort. He says, I'm coming quickly. He says, hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. The word crown there is the idea of the garland that they would place upon the athlete's head when he was victorious or she was victorious. It's the idea like 
Hold fast. It's not saying you'll lose your salvation. It is supposed to be encouragement. Like you just keep going. You be faithful. Because one of these days when you finish the race, you're going to get the crown of the victor. He says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. You will be validated. Like It's like Jesus puts his stamp on you and says, this is mine. He has or she has my name. He, she has the name of my city because there's a new citizenship. Notice it's just like there is reward for faithfulness. So he who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says, what the Spirit goes on saying to the churches. If you're faithful, there are opportunities. If you're faithful, God can open doors. Look, I'm just praying. I know we're getting ready to finish out a year, and some of you are getting ready to finish out a quarter. I think I'm praying this coming Friday and Saturday for the graduation, if I got a voice back. I'm going to pray for the graduation. It's hard to believe we're through this quarter. It's hard to believe that we're almost to finish the year 2020. But let me ask you, are you praying now, one, that you are faithful in your relationship with the Lord before you go into 2021? I mean, like, I would start now. Lord, make me to be faithful now and as we move in. And are you praying, God, give us some new opportunities? Satan is trying to squash all the opportunities of gospel. He's trying to squash fellowships. He's trying to squash community life. He's trying to squash so many things. But God, give us new opportunities. And I would say, as he gives us opportunities, that we pray that, God, you would allow us to be faithful to speak and to minister in those moments. I don't want to stand before Jesus Christ one day and have squandered the opportunities that God has given us as individuals or a church. I want to be able to hold fast. I want to be able to know the victory. I want to be able to look back and see that he did things I never could have dreamed of. Because, see, if we put the opportunities before you, a preacher, deacon, staff, others, those are not much opportunities. But when God opens a vision and gives opportunities that only he could give, and you know it, you're going to be drawn closer to him. You're going to praise him for who he is. And that's what we want to see. It comes through being faithful. It comes through trusting him. It comes through his opening a door that nobody can slam shut. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this day. And Father, I come to you right now and Lord, I lift up, I lift up my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here. God, I pray right now that you'd work in their lives and that you'd draw them closer to you because Lord, opportunities and what you're wanting to do is only realized as we trust you and we see faithfulness. So God, I pray for each one right now that you draw them closer. Even as this quarter is uh, 
closing for some college students, even as some of these young couples are going through some different things in their lives, even as those of us who are middle-aged and beyond, Lord, we have, we have seen so much busyness and obstacles come against us. God, I pray today that we'd be drawn closer. There are some in this place that need to follow the example that's been seen today. They need to come and they need to be faithful to commit themselves to you and publicly profess you right here in front of all this congregation. Follow you maybe in baptism. There's some in this place that are being faithful. They feel like they're probably not being noticed. God, do you see what's happening? God, I pray that you would open doors for my brothers and sisters who are here. And I pray you would open opportunities for us as a church that would blow the minds of this community and blow the minds of this state and nation. Blow the mind, blow our minds, Lord. That's what we pray, that you blow our minds with opportunities. When it's all said and done, as we're faithful to those moments, we will give you the glory and the honor because we know one day we're going to stand before you God, you're going to recognize us. You're going to call us by name. You're going to allow us to experience victory. Lord, I just commit it. I commit this moment of invitation now to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?